Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. The most recent issue of Heredity is a special issue titled Plant Quantitative Genetics, From Theory into Practice. Within its pages reside reviews, perspectives, and research papers that explore plant breeding, trait variation, and ways to inspire the next generation of plant scientists. So what exactly is plant quantitative genetics, and why was it important to produce this special issue now? Well, joining me to explore all are the editors responsible for bringing this fantastic collection of papers to the pages of Heredity. First of all, can you please just tell everybody listening who you are? Sure. Uh, I'm Alison Bentley. I'm the incoming director of the Global Wheat Program at CIMIT in Mexico, uh, and previously the director of genetics and breeding uh, at NIAB in Cambridge in the UK. And I'm Lindsay Compton. I'm a lecturer in genetics in the School of Biosciences at the University of Birmingham. And my work is about understanding genetic basis of complex traits in crops and applying that knowledge for improving crop breeding. Perfect. Well, welcome both to the Heredity Podcast and welcome back, Alison. It's actually been almost a year since we last had you on to discuss your research. Wow, time flies. Time flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I hadn't realized it had been quite as long until I, I checked just before this episode. Um, and you're both joining me today to talk about the special issue of Heredity you've jointly organized and edited. So what is this special issue all about? Yeah, the special issue is about plant quantitative genetics uh, and has this subtitle from theory into practice uh, and it really attempts to to look at the research that's going on in plant quantitative genetics obviously a lot of that is quite theoretical uh, and then says where are we with the theory uh, and how do we practically apply that in, in plants uh, and in crop species in particular hmm, perfect so what specifically do you mean by quantitative genetics in plants Yes, well, plant quantitative genetics is really a fundamental underpinning for plant breeding because it's attempting to understand how individual genes and variants of those genes interact with each other and also with environmental factors to determine the trait phenotypes um, such as disease resistance or drought tolerance, any kind of phenotype that you might be interested in um, that's relevant to plant breeding. Mm, fantastic. And you're mentioning their plant breeding. So is it fair to say this is mostly crop plants and agriculture we're talking about? Yeah, I think we, we kept a fairly open mind when, when we launched the special issue, but all of the papers are really looking at productive species. So we have everything from wheat, which is a kind of core food security crop, through to blueberry, obviously a, a very important fruit and economic crop, uh, and then some work in, in populus, so a deciduous tree species, but again, from a production and, and cultivation perspective. But yeah, I mean, quantitative genetics is a fairly broad field, and people use quantitative genetic underpinnings in, in more fundamental plant biology to really understand, as Lindsay said, the genetic controllers of, of traits of interest. So, so hopefully, although our focus really is on crops, there's kind of wider learning for the whole of the plant sciences. And also, I would, I would chip in there as well for animal biology as well, because the, the methods that we're talking about, like genomic selection, for example, in some of these um, articles in the special issue are just as relevant to animal geneticists as they are to ourselves as plant geneticists. 
Mm, no, it's very interesting. And I guess this field has a really long history. So what was the motivation behind producing the special issue now? Why do you think it was needed? Yeah, so the special issue really arose from a conference that Alice and I co-organised with Keith Gardner from NIAB, which took place in November 2019. So it was a conference that has the same name as the special issue, um, Applications of Plant Quantitative Genetics from Theory into Practice. And the motivation for that conference was really because there were a couple of important gaps in the UK plant genetics field. First of all, a kind of lack of a forum for plant quantitative geneticists to come together and discuss their work, not only with other experts in academia, but importantly, experts from plant breeding industry as well. And we also thought there was a really clear need for training and recruiting more quantitative geneticists. So we organised this conference to catalyse the discussion of all the up-to-date advancements in the field and to stimulate potential collaboration between academia and the plant breeding industry. So it was at this conference that we made the call for papers and launched this uh, special issue. Yeah, and just to add into that, I think it's it's really relevant at this time to, to look at um, the potential for quantitative genetics to kind of contribute more to modern plant breeding. So we've seen the acceleration of the omics fields is really well documented in sequencing technologies. And when you have a really kind of established field with really rooted in, in fundamental genetic principles, there is the obvious question of how do you integrate all of these new technologies that arise in, in sequencing? and high-throughput phenotyping, how do you kind of assimilate all of that into these fundamental quantitative genetic principles? And I think there's a huge interest uh, in doing that in plant breeding um, and lots of people trying to do it. I think as Lindsay highlighted, really the motivation was about building the community because often in an organization, whether it's public sector or private sector, you have kind of one or two quantitative geneticists and, and really we wanted to catalyze the cross-pollination and the sharing of those ideas uh, and having an opportunity to have a dialogue about how could ideas be brought together and how could people interact to really come up with novel ways to look at quantitative genetics in this kind of omics era where we're really moving forward. Mm, great. And I love the use of cross-pollination there as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's really good to hear you saying that. So we had Alex Twyford from the University of Edinburgh on an earlier episode, and he was talking about plant blindness and the fact that plants get overlooked quite a lot in biological research. So it's great to see an entire issue really dedicated to kind of exploring their importance and yeah, trying to build this community, as you say. And I kind of wonder, you've already touched upon some of the topics that this issue covers, but I wonder really what the scope of it is. So what can people expect from the papers going into it? So the special issue is, is a mixture of review articles, uh, perspective articles uh, and research articles. Uh, and really, there is a kind of something for everyone, I, I would say. And it really starts with a, a really brilliant review from Rex Bernardo on something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, uh, blue in the statistical sense uh, rather than the colour sense. Uh, and this really sets the scene for, as Lindsay mentioned, you know, quantitative genetics and genetic principles have been around for a long time. Um, but really saying, like, what are the things that we can use now? Can we learn from the old? Can we learn from the new? Can we borrow concepts from other fields outside of plant breeding and the biological sciences even? Uh, and how do we put these all together in a statistical framework? For me, that's really the kind of idea behind the special issue and all of the papers. So then we've got kind of genomic resources, 
innovative populations for doing genetics, understanding environmental adaptation, uh, and then engaging the next generation of geneticists, which is also brilliant. So I think it's really across this whole spectrum from really recognize the importance and the foundation of quantitative genetics all the way through to how do you apply this in a breeding program? How do you use this to excite the next generation of uh, scientists? And how do you use it to protect future production in changing environments and climates? Mm, no, it's definitely a good collection. This is not my field, but I enjoyed every paper in it that I read. And I guess there are quite a lot of papers in this. Um, and obviously, we can't cover all of them in great detail. So I'm kind of curious as to whether or not you both have a favorite paper in the special issue, one that sort of really stands out to you. Yes, I would say my favorite contribution is really John Hell's contribution. <laughs> I'm so glad you picked that. It really focuses on raising the aspirations in students, in this case, in secondary schools in in a school in Jersey. It might sound really simple, but really in, in order to aspire to a particular career, the really fundamental requirement is to know about its existence. And this uh, work that John's been doing in this secondary school really is a fantastic collaboration between the school and academic partners, which involves students in the whole process of research from sampling daffodils out in the field to doing the high throughput sequencing and bioinformatics analyses in the lab. So it really gave the students the experience of of life as a scientist. It's far more than just time spent in the lab. And it also gave them a really broad experience of being able to communicate their work at a conference. So there were a couple of students presenting um, a poster at a conference attended by the public and fellows of the Royal Society. So students went through the whole spectrum from design and implementation of the research to disseminating its outputs as well. So although we don't really know the full impacts of this project, um, yet, because it's quite at an early stage, the early signs definitely show that students are so much more aware of the possible career pathways that they could have in science, what it's like day to day being a scientist, and also develop their own self-confidence to pursue this kind of career path, which I think is a fantastic outcome. That was also my favourite paper, and um, I won't give too much of the game away, but if you want to hear from the students themselves about that experience, maybe keep an eye on your podcast feed. Um, it's a fantastic project, and I really hope that people will go and read that paper because it really is inspiring the next generation right at the point they need to be inspired. Alison, I wonder if you had a paper, I mean, you've already mentioned one that you thought was really fantastic. Is there another one that you think particularly stands out? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't have a favourite. They're all amazing papers. Um, but yeah, I mean, really echoing Lindsay's on John Hale's paper, I think that's a, that's a really cool example and, and something that we don't often see in the scientific literature. But then in addition to all of the great papers, I mean, I, one of the papers that really resonates with me because I work on wheat and, and really interested in uh, in wheat's adaptation to the environment is a paper from Jess Hiles at CSIRO uh, in Canberra in, in Australia. And, and Jess is a really talented early career scientist working on, on this question of how do we adapt wheat to, to changing environments uh, and how do you do that not only in Australia but in, into all the environments where wheat is grown uh, and this is really kind of central to the work that we do at CIMIT with a kind of global um, perspective and, and Jess's review is looking at um, all of the related traits and the genetics which underlie wheat adaptation and, and you kind of see this big crop which is grown all around the world uh, and you kind of assume okay that's kind of optimally adapted to all of these 
environments. But there's some really cool genetics which underpins that. Uh, and there's some really cool genetics that we really don't understand. And I think that's the point of the paper is they're still, even for these kind of really fundamental um, characteristics, which are really central to, to producing the food that the populations of the world rely on, there's still a lot that needs to be done to, to understand the genetic basis of, of these really core traits. So, so that's really one of the many favorites from the special issue. Mm. No, the, the wheat papers are definitely very interesting. I think anybody thinking about what crops we probably know a lot about probably think that wheat is just so extensively studied that we know everything there is to know about it. And yeah, these papers where it's kind of like, actually, there's tons we still need to understand are, are really interesting. Yeah, and it's a polyploid. I mean, anytime you've got a polyploid, and I think that the example is also there from blueberry, you've got an auto tetraploid. I mean, these things are so much more complicated than you kind of would imagine when you walk past a, a field of wheat or you buy your punnet of blueberries from the supermarket. So I think it's cool to see how you apply genetics in those really complex crop species. Mm, for sure. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And I guess having read all of the papers in this issue, I wonder what in this collection of papers has really influenced your thinking about your research. So what are the sort of broad take-homes from the issue as a whole? I'll start and and say I think I think it's really this broad spectrum and the, the thinking that there's not one solution. You know, when we we talk about we need to apply new technologies, particularly in plant breeding. You know, we want to to modernize and and continually improve the breeding process. But there isn't one answer, and, and there not being one answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. It means that for each crop and for each situation, for each adaptation type, we need different approaches. And I think that really brought together in, in the paper I mentioned before from Rex Bernardo, who's really making that case that we can hold on to the fundamental principles of quantitative genetics, but we can also evolve those, you know, within the framework of omics technologies, within the frameworks of the innovations in the wider landscape of plant sciences and uh, data science. And, and all of these things are valid and we can kind of optimize the package for whether we're a blueberry breeder or looking at uh, adaptation in deciduous species. So for me, that's the take home. You know, even when we look at biofortification, which is really a nutrition security target, the, all of these resources uh, and innovations have something to offer. And it's really about thinking about how do we creatively package them all to kind of create the optimal um, solutions going forward. 
And I think there's also a really nice take home that was pulled out in Ali and Borrell's paper on the wheat biofortification as well, about how in order to achieve the impact that we're intending from this kind of research, it's really important to have wider collaboration beyond just our academic labs and individual academic institutions to make sure that the promised benefits of the research can actually reach the beneficiaries. So it was quite nicely phrased in Ali and Borrell's paper as making sure that the improved cultivars actually reach the people who need it the most. So this will involve working with breeders, government and consumers to make sure that the full impacts of the research are actually come to life really. And I think that is important because um, speaking personally, and I'm sure for other academics as well, there's always this temptation to just do your research because it's, it's interesting in itself and then never talk to anybody about it ever again. But it's really important that we don't just do the research, but make that very clear pathway to impacts in the real world. Mm, for sure. And I guess that kind of pulls it back to your attempt to sort of build this wider community. And I guess, Lindsay, earlier on, you kind of mentioned that there's also some stuff in this issue for people who aren't working on plants. So I wonder what your pitch to people who are maybe working on animal systems or something else to come and give this special issue a look over. What in it is there for them? So we have some um, papers talking about methodologies and resources that can be applied to animal populations just as well as to plant populations as well. So, for example, uh, we have a paper from Oliveira et al. talking about a practical guide for implementing genomic prediction, which is really important for animal breeding just as it is for uh, plant breeding. So some of the things in this paper that are considered are composition of training populations and what kind of sequencing data, the depth of the sequencing data that you need to collect in order to make good predictions from genomic data. So this kind of guide that they put together really helps with resource allocation for sequencing and use of the right populations to make genomic prediction efficient and accurate. I think there there isn't a huge amount of dialogue. Obviously, there are people talking to each other between the animal and plant fields. But I guess for me, it's it's a snapshot of some of the thinking at present in the application of quantitative genetics into crops. So, you know, if you're an animal quantitative geneticist and you want to come and see what's happening in crops, you know, you can kind of get a snapshot on on the direction of travel that people are taking to to use these methods uh, in crop plants. And I also think to be inspired about ways of engaging the next generation, because this is not just plant geneticists. Obviously, it was a study on on daffodils, but you could also take this approach and and really think about how you would use this in, in in an animal context or a you know a filamentous fungi project so I think to really see where we are uh, in the plant world uh, and to really see if there's potential to really expand the engagement with students who are learning about these methods Mm, no for sure and I guess the last thing that I wanted to ask you both about was the experience of putting this together because as a reader it's fantastic to see this collection but I also know that it's an incredible amount of work on your part so what was it like putting this together Firstly, to say that it was hugely well supported by the Heredity office and by Barbara Mabel, who's the editor-in-chief of Heredity, who make it an incredibly seamless process, even though there there is obviously work involved. And I think it was great to have from the community a real interest in, in submitting and engaging with the idea of the special issue and, and of the wider community engagement. And so, so my experience was very positive, uh, both in terms of the submissions and the willingness to review review and provide feedback, which is obviously a a really important and kind of sometimes hidden and sometimes negative 
aspect of that process of submitting your your paper or your review to a journal. But I but I think uh, we had a, an incredibly positive feedback system, and we really wanted to to kind of be able to showcase uh, these examples of the use of plant quantitative genetics. So that for me was was a really kind of positive step, and and I hope also for the contributing authors that it was a you know it was a positive process to have this focus and to really support uh, the community to get some of their work out in this kind of wider framework rather than just you know putting your your one paper into an issue that's lots of different things um, but having a direction to travel in absolutely and i think it's it's really nice to have the opportunity to have a very specific vision come to life in the form of a collection of papers that really do form a nice collection on, on a specific topic i think it's important to take on this a special issue with a really clear vision in mind as to what you want to achieve in terms of the process like you say alison it's been fantastically positive i think it's quite easy to when you submit a paper think of the publication process as this kind of black box and you don't really really know what goes on on the editorial side of things. So being involved in editing a special issue like this is really a unique opportunity to understand the publication process. Um, so what can you do, for example, as an author to make sure that you're responding to reviewers in a way that the editor can relate to and understand? So what are the things that are going to make the editor's life easier in understanding and believing that you've actually, or being convinced that you've actually responded to all of the uh, reviewers' comments? So it's, it's a nice view from the other side. And one of, one of the loveliest aspects for me was to be able to handle the papers enthusiastically, really, and with conviction. So when you really believe in, in a paper, being really willing to go the extra mile as an editor to see that come to fruition because you really believe that this paper will have an impact on, on the field and the way that people think about plant genetics and priorities for the future. To be honest, I think the dedication of both the authors and the editorial team kind of really shines through in the special issue because it really is a fantastic collection of papers. Um, and it is out now, Plant Quantitative Genetics from Theory into Practice. And I really hope that people will go and check it out, particularly since you have given it such a good pitch. Yeah, and just to add into that, I think it's the best special issue cover that I've seen mm, in Heredity. It, it is a very good As cover. the designer. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, it, I mean, for me, it's really nice. Uh, and I think they do this quite a lot in, in Heredity for special issues. You know, you've got this kind of big wheat field and then some blueberries and some populus and a daffodil and, and a wheat grain. And then I think that really kind of, for me, sums up the kind of idea that this is a kind of universal component of plant sciences. And it's really nice to be able to bring it together. You know, it's it's crop agnostic, species agnostic, that these methods are really relevant. So it's, it's nice to be able to illustrate that as well. Yeah, for sure. It It is a very nice cover and it's a very good collection of papers, which, yeah, hopefully people will now go and give a read. Um, and I guess, yeah, thank you very much, both of you, for joining me to share your joy about this collection of papers. Cool. Thanks a lot, James. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks to Lindsay and Alison. You can find the special issue they edited on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash HDY. It's a fantastic collection of ideas, so I hope you go and check it out. But that's us for today. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity Podcast on all good podcast platforms, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 